Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, and welcome to the Beat of Sports. I'm Mark Daniels. Uh, Kyle Cassandra's off uh, and uh, enjoying the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. Good for him and his lovely wife. I think they may be headed down to South Florida now, maybe listening now. Kelly Velez uh, drew the smallest straw, or maybe the biggest one, and is hanging out with us today and kind to uh, stick around. He's got a long day yesterday, uh, today, and tomorrow, so thank you for sitting in. How are you today, Kelly? Always a pleasure. Um, feeling good. You know, we're in a week where we have to show our graciousness and our thankfulness. And I'm definitely thankful for you, Mr. Oh, Hall of Famer, wow. man. So I wanted to end my week with you, my friend. Wow, it's very kind. And thank you again for sticking around. So, um, you know, Kelly's got a lot of things that he does in the morning and with Mike's show and everything. So we don't want to, like, overdo Kelly and, 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 and what he's doing filling in. So I said today for this Double Shot Tuesday, I, I said, Kelly, I'm, I'm going to do something. So... He just played a song from Sheena Easton that probably nobody in the audience ever heard before. Um, but today's Double Shot Tuesday, Kelly, 40 years ago, mm. this was Billboard's top 15. That's how many slots we have between now and the show ends. So that was Sheena Easton 40 years ago on the Billboard top 40 and top 100. That was song number 15. Wow. A telephone. I, I think when we get through the rest of the top 15, You'll be familiar with some songs. And, of course, you know me. I think the 80s was the greatest decade of humankind ever. And um, there's an interesting music journey of uh, the 80s. So so that's hit number 15. And maybe maybe I'll bring a little Casey Kasem and do the <laughs> countdown. You have uh, to. Come on, you know, man. Do that. So uh, how are things with you? Not, uh, you know, Kelly's a brand-new father. And how old is baby now? She is seven weeks. Seven weeks. Um. So what's Thanksgiving now for the, uh, the families? Is there something big on Thursday? or, or? So Thanksgiving now. So uh, the past couple y- uh, years, we've been hosting at our house, Casa uh-huh. Velez. Yeah. But this year, uh, with the new baby, the uh, sister-in-law is going to hold it down. So usually we go good. to, like, different... Yeah. Road game's good when you got a newborn. That's it. And the great thing about it is they're literally right down the road, less than five minutes driving. So yeah. in and out, if it gets to that point, you know, right. all right, baby, come on. Right, right down the road. Yeah. Now you can use your child as a reason to get out. It's been beautiful. Yeah. How many people will be at this dinner? Oh, 15 plus. 15 plus. Yeah. Wow. Including kids. Well, not including kids, I should say. Yeah, like Kyle was talking yesterday, his Thanksgiving uh, dinner is going to be like 34 people. Yeah. We're, we're uh, lucky enough, along with Kyle, to have like that big you know, support system around right. us. Right. Well, you know everybody there? Yes. Okay. So it's not like, hey, who is that? Yeah, 100%. That's so-and-so's cousin, you know. No, I don't. <laughs> Which is interesting because, like, I, I thought about it. In New York, like, my family in New York, we have a lot more of those, like, second, third cousins yeah. that, and yeah. all that. But over here, it's very much like everybody knows each other. It's like okay. first generation. That's great. That. That's great. Very smooth. You guys have to prepare a dish or something or what? Yeah, I, I forget off the top of my head uh, what the wife is doing because I would absolutely destroy any dish that I try to cook. All right. But <laughs> yeah. everybody's going to bring a little something to the dinner. All right. Well, good, 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 good. What about good. you, Daniels? What, what are you guys doing? You staying local? Yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. No traveling. Homie ain't traveling was... for, for, for Thanksgiving. There's enough travel going on with me. So, right. uh, no, it's, uh, I mentioned this yesterday, my 
uh, my two daughters and their significant others uh, will be by for an early meal. And then each will, like my oldest daughter recently got engaged to my now future son-in-law, they're going to go to his family's house. And then my youngest daughter, who now living with her boyfriend, they'll go to his house later. And I'm perfectly fine. So, like, we've got a, a lunch thing, and then they're out of there, and my wife and I will be cleaned up and everything by 3, 30, 4 o'clock, and I have no problem with that. That sounds like a great day to me. Yeah. I, it, I, that's yeah. always an interesting balance when, like, the kids have their own setup now, so it's like, okay, like, who are we going to spend our Thanksgiving with? No, I like being the matinee. Yeah. I love that yeah. idea, actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to use that. I'm gonna Everyone's that fresh, you know? You're not coming from someplace else where did you eat too much, you don't want to eat my food, and I think you don't like my food and so forth. Um, so, you know, we're first out of the box and everything. And, uh, which is great because like, I love this week, uh, you know, it's Thanksgiving holiday season, but that means a Thursday morning early rise. Mm-hmm. I'll get a great run in really early, maybe like a 6am run. And then in the uh, kitchen, cranking out the side dishes and everything and, and, and get that bird in there. And then, uh, we'll eat early and then they, you know, get out of here. I love that. You know? Yeah, I'm definitely putting that in my back pocket because it's something that comes up, and I've been wondering as I go down my yeah. journey as a father, like yeah. how, like how things are going to be structured. Right. And, and I love that early. You're right. And situation. if you like leftovers, and I'm a big Thanksgiving leftover guy, so I'll milk that through the weekend. Right. The great thing is they're both going to other dinners, so you're not taking my food. A hundred percent. Sometimes, like, oh, you know, we'll pack you up something. And you're like, wait, what? Yo, who took the green bean casserole? <laughs> Yeah, so we, what, 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 what happened? Well, we gave it to so-and-so. Why? I was talking to uh, to Bianchi about this. So he had a Friendsgiving yesterday. Yeah. You're familiar with Friendsgiving, yeah, right? Yeah, now? yeah, yeah. So uh, the wife and I hosted, once again, we, we always host things. Yeah. We hosted one on Sunday, and it was like a, a seafood boil. And when I tell you crab legs, shrimp, everything that goes into it was there. We had probably like 10 people there, and we're hosting. I'm like, okay, cool. I can't wait to get these leftovers, bro. They were gone. Yeah. Yeah, gone. That's another like, reason why I don't like road games for these uh, holiday dinners, because I, I'm never going to ask somebody for a, a, a save me a plate. Give me a plate, real quick. Yeah, no, I, I'm never doing that. And so, so I, yeah, it's the home game for me. I don't even know the last time I had one of these holiday dinners on the road. It's just a home game all the time. It's so funny because uh, when I was younger, growing up in New York, like we would go to different, like my like my mother's cousin's house yeah. and then my aunt's house and yeah. all that. And I just remember one constant out of all those would be some sort of argument will break out with somebody, and another thing is coming home with a tin foil plate <laughs> of leftovers to the house. And we have like three, four in the house. I'm like, oh, this is great. I love Thanksgiving. <laughs> Man, oh wow! So yeah, it, 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 it's the fun part about a Thanksgiving uh, week. So last night I knew he was on, but I didn't watch it live. I, I, I we had the UCF football show last night. I got home and uh, had some dinner, and uh, I mean the folks at Mellow Mushroom do a great job and brought a pizza home last night. Good, healthy. That great white pizza is fantastic. So and. Uh, because I had basketball on Sunday, my normal Sunday football game prep, so my schedule was out of whack. So came home, ate dinner, and was and, and watching the Chiefs and Eagles, and I'm doing my football prep for a game this week, and everything. And I knew he was on, so I taped, and then I just watched. Uh, David Letterman was on Stephen Colbert last night. Okay. And um, Letterman's 76. And now I loved David Letterman growing up. 
And I'm old enough to remember when Dave did the late morning show on NBC before they gave him the show after Johnny Carson and then the whole fallout, and Dave then went to CBS. And he was fantastic. He was great uh, last night. I think it, it was the first time back in that uh, studio since he had left, the Ed Sullivan Theater and everything. And as I'm watching the, the, the brilliance of Letterman, the comedic genius, the timing, how to tell the joke, how to you know get the one-liner in. Um, he was a master of it, and, and he still was last night with Colbert, who's really good, but you put Letterman down there, and there's no question who the dominant personality on that set was. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Dave Letterman. And, again, for me, when I grew up watching late-night television, now, now again, my parents used to watch Johnny Carson religiously every single night when Johnny Carson was the thing mm-hmm. and dominated late-night television. I mean, Carson would get audiences that primetime shows today would dream of getting. And then as Letterman comes on the scene and, and, and you know, the many personalities, and it's not a knock on what is uh, Colbert, Fallon, or Kimmel. They're talented people, you know, great writers and everything. There's been a lot of pieces written about maybe how they don't treat their uh, people well. But um, I do think in the streaming world we live in, the late-night TV show's dead. Oh, yeah. No question. Because you think about it, even back then, and you mentioned all those names. For, for me, it was Arsenio as yeah. well. It's just a part of, of the fabric of, of culture, whatever culture you're attached to, right? Yeah. And having those guests come through, the musical guests, the entertainment guests, whatever the case is, a lot of times that was like your only time to see them in this sort of environment. And now, as you said, with streaming, you have so many different people that have interview segments on YouTube and you're seeing clips on TikTok. Like, why should I, you know, tune in late night to see this interview that I could just watch at any time once it hits the net? So I looked this up. um, the, The viewing audience available... You can go back and look at the numbers by looking at total number of TV viewers after 11.30, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. versus those that view today, okay? And here's the difference. The audience today is less than one-third of the people that sat down 30 years ago and had a TV on after 11.30. Okay. Now, you've got your iPhone, iPhone. your computer, other viewing options, you're not watching late-night television. So the audience is already two-thirds less than what Letterman could get 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. So they're not as influential. It's not that they're not as talented. They're just not as influential, um, which is why all those shows are so big into social media by posting clips and, you know, things like that. But you go back and think of how powerful they were and watching Letterman at 76 with his big gray beard sitting on that stage and dominating that stage with Stephen Colbert, who, again, is very talented. And and for me, it reminded me just how big he was, just how big it was to be on that show, and it mattered. In fact, Colbert asked him about musical artists, and he talked about how much that meant to him, and he's talking about, you know, we had Green Day on, and, like, when Green Day's coming up, it was a big deal when they were on Dave Letterman. It was like, they're on Letterman and Mm -hmm. so forth. And today, the the late-night talk show, it's dead. You know? And that, that used to be like a benchmark for oh. like musicians specifically, yeah. uh, comedians as well. Like, oh, you're on you're on Letterman, oh, you're on Leno tonight. Yeah, tune in. 
tune in and support. That's when you knew someone got to that next level. I mean, there was a there was an era for comedians that if you were on Carson, that's it. Johnny made you. Mm-hmm. Like you know, go ask Jerry Seinfeld. Like when you got the invite, and if Johnny then invited you to sit down for the post, you know, stand up routine, if you got to sit down, you were crowned, and the phone calls for gigs flooded in. If you went out there, did four or five minutes, and Johnny said thank you, and you went off, Johnny didn't yeah, really like out. you. <laughs> but 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 if he liked you and he said, hey, come on over and sit down, then you were booking gigs nonstop after something like that. So, um, yeah, the clips from Letterman were absolutely fantastic last night. All right, we got things to get to on uh, Tuesday's show here today and tomorrow of this Thanksgiving week. Matt Michelle's going to join us to talk some uh, college football for his weekly time slot at 11.35. Uh, Bob Herrig later. Uh, Sports Illustrated's excellent golf writer with some really interesting things uh, happening. That Rory Tiger simulated league delayed a year because of Mother Nature's damage to Tiger's facility down in Jupiter. Plus Bob on the latest of Live and the PGA Tour and some other interesting golf news. That's in the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, We'll come on back uh, with some college football news that makes it unique about this sport with the college football playoff rankings coming out tonight. Continuous double shot, double shots of classic rock. Two for Tuesday. I know you're feeling this, Kelly Villers. I mean, you may be doing long hours today, sitting in for Kyle. And today, I threw a little spin on Double Shot. Tuesday, I said, "Hey, 40 years ago, what the Billboard charts looked like." And uh, this was uh, song number 13. Uh, and this song moved up from 18 to 13 the last week on the Billboard Top 40, Michael Jackson's PYT. You feeling it? Oh, yeah. What? Huh? This is one of the first ones that I really felt in my soul as a child. One of the reasons why I also, again, you, you know my obsession for the 80s, is that some songs still hold. Yeah. 40 years ago. Trust me, in the 80s, when I was a DJ, we weren't playing anything for the 40s. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Nobody was going, hey, here's the, uh, here's the New York City Orchestra with their hit song of uh, Big Apple Blues. Um, no, but you can play this song today and it's not like, I'll oh, get that old thing off the radio. And it's crazy because it sounds better than a lot of the things you yeah. hear today. Yeah. Nothing uh, 10 o'clock hour, WYJ, Orlando, WJRR, HD2, Cocoa Beach, Orlando Sports Leader, Mark Daniels, and the Beat of Sports. So, uh, uh, a couple of college football notes. Tonight, uh, by the way, there's an insane listener email coming up next segment that you have to listen to and many of you will relate to. Don't miss that. But uh, tonight, the college football playoff rankings will come out. Uh, The committee's got tonight's rankings, and then um, next week, They'll put rankings out before we get to a conference championship. And then uh, a week from Sunday, then they'll pick the four teams and the New Year's six slots, and off we go uh, with college football's postseason. Tonight, the question is, will Florida State hold on to number four? Would Washington pass them because the body of work of games played? Um, Will the committee comment about Jordan Travis? Bukor, again, the chair of the committee, has to be asked that question by Reese Davis tonight for the weekly interview that they do. And I'll be curious about uh, his answer. Well, the committee, in writing, in its own bylaws, states 
about injuries and how you view teams. There still is the human element of saying, but I still believe the body of work warrants this ranking. I do think Washington is going to pass Florida State in tonight's rankings, meaning I think they'll be four and Florida State five. I do not think it's going to be because Jordan Travis is injured. I think it's it's going to be because Oregon State is going to stay ranked. Washington just came off that win, and I think the committee is going to view that the overall body of work after 11 games is that Washington goes here. Remember, Ohio State plays Michigan this week. If Florida State wins... If they win, there's no scenario that I see that the loser of Ohio State-Michigan stays ahead of them in the college football playoff ranking. I don't know about things like the AP poll, but I don't think that would happen. So I still believe that Florida State with two wins will be in the top four. And I think most people would agree if they lose one of the next two games, they're out. They're not going to be part of the one-team debate for multiple reasons, and the biggest being when you lose. One of the biggest debates that may happen is Alabama-Texas getting in if Alabama wins out and beats Georgia. And the argument from both sides, Texas, we went to Tuscaloosa and we beat Alabama. Alabama, hey, yes, they did. We just beat Georgia with that win streak. And, you know, look at how we're playing. And that is part of the crazy system that is college football where humans are going to determine who makes the playoff where in the NFL, here's the rules on the wall about how you make uh, the playoff. So there's a whole bunch of scenarios that are going to still have to play itself out. And we haven't had a year of a ton of upsets, When you, particularly the last month of the season. There's been chaos for years where what you think in early and mid-November, doesn't happen. Chalk has held form a lot in college football the second half of the season. That is not common in the last decade. And let's say Michigan, who's a three-and-a-half-point favorite, let's say Michigan wins by seven. And, and it's a 27-20 game. Um, okay, that's not a shocking upset. If Washington State beats Washington, yeah, Even with the injury to Jordan Travis, Florida beating Florida State, that's an upset because of where these teams are sitting right now. If Georgia Tech beats Georgia, that's a massive uh, upset. So there still is potential, I don't know if I call it chaos, but there still is scenarios where the committee is going to have to sit and look at data of one lost team's and explain why so-and-so gets in over somebody else and a lot of teams are going to have a say. Believe me, there'll be debate. If Alabama beats Georgia, again, making up a score here, 31-27, there'll be the argument and debate about Georgia going, yeah, but they still won all these games in a row. They're the two-time defending champions and just lost a close game. They should be in. That argument will be made. You'll begin to measure the schedules, the quality victories, and all sorts of things like that. Then take this one year from now. In a 12-team playoff, you'll argue over the top four seeds, which have to be conference champions, and likely will be the Power Four conference champions. There'll be the argument if a Power Four champion has two losses versus a one-loss, say, SEC team, 
That's the rule about being a top four seed. And then there'll be the debate about spots 10, 11, 13, 14, 15. Why did I skip 12? The assumption's going to be that the top group of five team will be ranked 12th next year. Maybe not, but that's the assumption. And then we'll be debating from 10 and 2 to potentially 8 and 4 teams. And there'll be lots of criticism like this is ridiculous. We're measuring teams that went 8 and 4 and things like that. And you know what will happen? We'll get used to it because you'll be glad you have 11 playoff games. But what you'll get into more next year is the quality of schedules and how you play the last half of a season. I mean, it's possible that next year a team that begins the year 1-3 and three makes the college football playoff. Can't happen now, but they could go 1-3 and three and win seven of their final eight, knock off three top 15 teams, and be playing as good as anybody at the end of the season. And the argument would be, isn't that what this is supposed to be about? Not just more access, but rewarding good teams at the end of the year whether it was because of injuries early in the season or they just figured it out. But let me tell you a couple of other things to watch in future years. And it comes into play potentially in one league this week, and that's the Big 12. A lot of things would have to happen for a six-way tie for second place. Um, and I'm not quite sure that there's any chance of that. I mean, it, I mean there is a chance, but, but I don't think it's going to happen. But what you're going to learn as we did away with divisions and decided, hey, what's best for our league is we're going to take the 16 and 18 team leagues, we're going to do away with divisions because we want the top two teams to play in the conference championship game, so we better our chance of getting somebody in the playoff. We don't want someone to go 8-4 and and win a division and then knock off an undefeated team, and it takes that undefeated team out of the playoff. So... The wonderful wizards that run college football conferences um, all follow the trend. Get rid of divisions. Get rid of divisions. Okay. 16 and 18 team leagues. Forget, as I was explaining with Mike, we're winning 10 games. It's going to be really hard to do, especially if you're in a league with nine conference games. And it's the reason why the SEC stuck with eight. Two reasons. One, ESPN refused to pay for the additional content. Uh, And then two, Greg Sankey knows. I want my teams to have as many wins. So keep the non-conference game. Play teams that you know you're going to win. And we'll not worry about a ninth conference game. But do you realize with 16 and 18 team leagues, you know what is inevitable? What is inevitable is the mass chaos of tiebreakers. You're going to get, in years, you're going to get four teams tied at the top at, say, 7-2 and two, or 6-2 and two, or 8-1. and one. Or you're going to get someone that goes eight and one, and then five teams that are six and three, and you're going to go way down in tiebreakers because not everybody played head to head, and you're going to end up with a season in which somebody gets into a conference championship game on what maybe like the sixth or seventh tiebreaker, which is road wins in the conference or highest win percentage. That's inevitable. With 16 and 18 team leagues. That's inevitable. All right, one other thing I want to get to. There's no other profession than college football, not even in college basketball, but in college football, there's no other profession that takes someone in a job and tells them 
you have to interview for another job while you have the job you have, and by just interviewing for that job and the risk of it becoming known, it ruins a lot of things and a lot of lives in the sense of what it causes. Coaches get fired in college football during the season. Not all, but coaches do get fired during the season. Different reasons. We want to get ahead of it and and, and let people know that the job's out there, maximize candidates for it, uh, let recruits know it. So coaches get fired. Well, coaches get hired really during a year. Jeff Trail is a football coach at Texas San Antonio. His team has a chance to win the American. He's been a really good coach at UTSA. And he's had to deal with questions about the Texas A&M job. Yesterday at his weekly press conference, he's asked by a reporter about if he interviewed for the Texas A&M job. Here's how he has to answer the question. Listen, you'll hear the reporter more. It's tough to hear trailer, but, but listen to his answer. Obviously, the conversation around Texas A&M is still out there. How do you balance that this week with everything else that's going on? There's nothing to balance. It's about Frank Harris and the Roadrunners, and that's all there is to balance. I know on Friday you wanted to keep the focus on the seniors, but it's a question that bears asking again. Did you interview with Texas A&M? Uh, we play Friday at 2.30. Now, you could view that as, wow, hey, uh, arrogant coach. What do you want him to say? What, 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 what's he supposed to say? I did interview for the job. had a great Zoom call. It lasted about two hours, um, and it was great. And yet, his profession requires him to do that. Now, you say requires. Look, <laughs> the football coach at Texas A&M is going to make significantly more than the football coach at Texas San Antonio every year for the next 200 years maybe 400 years, Um, does he not want to perhaps better his career from a financial standpoint, security for him and his family, an opportunity to coach at that level? There's nothing wrong with that. There's no other job that I can think of that requires somebody to have to answer those questions. And by the way, the question's fine by the reporter, both questions, and his answer's fine. What's he supposed to say? You've got vacancies at Mississippi State, at Texas A&M, uh, now it's Syracuse. What are you supposed to say? When your name pops up or someone's like, hey, I heard you interview for the job, his team knows. His team knows. But there's nothing else that I know of that that, that puts a, a, a person in a position like that. And I don't know how you change that. You can't stop schools from firing a coach when they want to firing a coach. And you can't stop the news cycle of, hey, uh, are you interested or did you interview for that job? Because you have to. Because if Jeff Trailer wants that job, if he wants that job, he likely has to take it the day after if his team plays in the conference championship game or the day after their final game of the regular season. And it, that might be this week. Because what? Because that's the business. That's the business. That's the odd thing about hiring coaches in college uh, football. All right, uh, we're going to talk to Matt Michelle coming up at the bottom of the hour for his weekly college football visit. Listener email. This is a great Thanksgiving football story that we're going to get to when we come on back. Uh, this is Huey Lewis in the news. Dating back in 1983 when Heart and Soul was the 12th biggest song this week 40 years ago.
Double Shot Tuesday. Tell me, I know you love this song. Eleven biggest hit 40 years ago this week on the Billboard chart. Princess was delirious. Mm. It's weird to say this album is underrated, but I say that because Purple Rain is such like the runaway favorite of just the general public, I guess you could say, of Prince. But 1999, oh man. If I remember correctly... Side A was Little Red Corvette. It was 1999, and it was Delirious. Really? Had, I think I had three discs, if I remember correctly. Wow. Remember, my uncle had them. Uh, today, uh, we're doing songs on the Billboard chart from 40 years ago. Why? Why not? Thanksgiving. That's right. Uh, Prince and Delirious was number 11. It's now the top 10 to come. Uh, on the program. Last night, uh, Eagles beat the Chiefs in Kansas City. It's the third consecutive NFL, uh, or third consecutive uh, game the Chiefs do not score in the second half. Great one for Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts wasn't the greatest statistical night, but man, he was big when it came to running the football, and the Eagle defense in the second half was flat out nasty. And uh, Patrick Mahomes in that offense looks average at times, particularly in the second half, so it's a big win for Philadelphia. Uh, last night they go to nine and one on the uh, season, and I said to Mike earlier we're talking to the bridge about the Chiefs, and this is a team that just won the Super Bowl. But you look last night at that offense, and you're like, yes, you don't give back the Super Bowls you won, but that's what Patrick Mahomes works with from a receiving standpoint and the weapons around him, and it's average, and as great as he is. Um, you can make a great quarterback become average as well. You know, Marcus Valdez-Scanley can't make the catch on a deep ball. Big drop, and Travis Kelsey can't bail you out all the time because at some point, like on the final drive, the Eagles were like, all right, throw to him for six yards. We'll, we'll, we'll give you that all day. You're just not going to beat us deep, and they didn't. Uh, this is a great one for Philadelphia. Uh, and the Chiefs certainly can win the AFC, but you... You have to look and say they're not a favorite by any means uh, at all. All right, Kelly, can I read you a, a listener email and tell me what you would do in this situation? I've been looking forward to this since you uh, teased it earlier. Let's get to it. Yeah, you know, maybe once every two weeks I, I take a email that somebody uh, sends that I think catches my eye that people can relate to. This may be something as we're a couple of days from Thanksgiving that uh, some uh, can relate to. Uh, Mark, headed to my girlfriend's family for Thanksgiving weekend. It's the first trip for us with other family members. We've been dating for eight months now. Uh, Both of us are coming off of uh, a tough relationship. We've enjoyed each other's company. I'm 34. She's 31. Neither have been married. Okay. Um, And we think there's something potentially here to build on. Okay, so we're kind of setting up. We've got a good relationship here. Mm Mm-hmm. This looks like a big step to meet. I don't know if he's met her parents, but they're going to be other family members here. Yeah, a trip is a, like meeting them is one thing. Going on a trip. We are driving up to the Georgia mountains. Nice. Where her family has been uh, renting a home 
and hosting holiday dinners and events for years. Nice. The pressure's on because it's an away game. We're talking about home games mm-hmm. away game. Yep. Uh, but she's great. I met, uh, 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 oh, okay, no, he, he's met her parents and a brother and sister. Uh, there's expected to be about 35 people. <whistles> They're all stank at the one house. I can't imagine it's all the one. But uh, 35 people. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great bonding time. And the family is really into a bunch of games and watching movies. And sounds like a fun weekend. I have been informed that my girlfriend's brother is a hardcore football guy. Okay. Not just let's watch the Thanksgiving game, but there is an annual flag football game that takes place at a nearby park. They've done this for 11 years. <laughs> the football game tradition? She gave me a heads up that I'm re- receiving an email because I'm now an expected participant in the event. <laughs> He writes, dot, 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 notice I didn't say game because this is an event. Not even understanding anything, I then began to read the email when it arrived, and holy smokes, I had to share this with you. This isn't some, hey, we all get together at the park and throw the football around and have some fun, and then we go eat. This is like a hardcore, well-planned-out, dot, 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 insanely sick event, as I think you'll see. The brother is... 29, which I get, well, okay, so he started 18 years, okay. The brother's 29, and he takes his football and flag football really serious. Get a load of this. There are 14 individuals that will be playing in a 7-on-7 flag football game. I was told who I was replacing because he's not available this coming weekend. Then I proceeded to learn there's a draft of players. No. I was asked to share my football history and experience because I get a draft rating that then is presented to the two captains. One is the brother. The other is a cousin that's participated in most of these games as well. Then I was told based on which team I was drafted by, I would be receiving, you ready? Their playbook. (laughs) The brother and the cousin are the quarterbacks and have established their own offensive game plan for this. I asked my girlfriend, is he serious? And she said, oh, yeah, hardcore. (laughs) You know? My first thought is the scene in Wedding Planners, you know, hey, throw the pigskin around her. That's exactly what I had in my mind. So he says to her, how do you want me to respond about my playing history? And she said, just be honest. And then he writes, let me give you some background. He goes, I'm a former Division One backup quarterback that was a two-time All-State quarterback, albeit small state. He didn't tell me what state. Um, and by the way, I'm 6'4", 220. I asked her, how big's your brother? She goes, you know, like 5'10". 5'10", <laughs> so 160, you know. So he writes. I asked her. Do I tell him what I really did? And is that going to make him uncomfortable? Because I probably should be playing quarterback. She says, that's a fair question. You might want to lie. He says, what am I supposed to write? And she says, don't tell him about your college experience. Just say that you played high school. He says, what position? She says, maybe you can say quarterback or something else, whatever. So he says, 
I filled out this saying, I played a little football growing up and put nothing else in the background. <laughs> Wait, and he said that he's he's met the brother? Oh, no, or that he just met He's the met parents. a brother. I guess there's multiple brothers. He's never met this guy. I was about to say, because once he pulls up... Yeah. It's so like, the game is Thursday. Yeah. Okay. The draft was Saturday night. He got an email. He's on this guy's team. He could have been drafted with a cousin. He was drafted in the fifth round. <laughs> I guess because his bio, did, well... He didn't what, have anything on He's like, that. well, you know, the guy said he played the ball. He drafted in the fifth round. He received a playbook that has six basic plays. That includes what the verbiage is, meaning XY27 is his play. He thought he was joking. He has diagrams what the play is. So he's asking me, Mark, do I just go and have fun and I make a big deal? Do I tell the guy what my background is when I got there? Um, do I try to big time him? Because after talking to his girlfriend's cousin, another woman who, who's going to be there, she then explained how hardcore the brother is. And after learning about my football background, is almost begging me to embarrass the brother, <laughs> and so forth. So what do I do? It's a good one here. The, the best, a good one, Daniels. This is like the one. So, so what do you do, Kelly? Our guy's an all-state high school guy. Listen, he's going to figure just out like wedding planners. Okay, a hundred percent, and he's yeah. going to figure out as soon as you pull up. And what was he six four two twenty? He's going to figure something out, brother. So I would just but keep wait, it real wait. with him. But 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 does the brother think, oh, good, I drafted a good tight end well, that can well, catch the ball? Well, that's exactly where I was going. He's like, oh, perfect. It's not like he's going to be contending for the quarterback job. He's just going to be like, oh, I have a great guy to throw to now. Because guess what? It doesn't matter so you don't what he's to move in on the brother's territory. No, because e- either way, he's going to take that. You know those types. He has to be that type. No, I'm the quarterback. This is my playbook. This is what but I. But guy says he wants to win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so you're saying just lay low, play whatever position the hardcore brother wants, and even if he's not, and clearly he won't be as good a quarterback as our guy here, you just take it? No, I would, I would say, listen, it's time to sub in. Let me try. G- give me a couple snaps. Oh. Give me a couple snaps. He slings it 60 yards. <laughs> wow. They had a draft. I can't believe that. And he sent him Playbook. Slings. Playbook. Yeah, playbook. What are the odds they have audibles as well? I don't know. So, 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 so you're saying lay low. Don't come in and say, hey, just let you know, man. I, you know, I, I sent you back some stuff, but I played football. I played D1. I was a backup, and I played, and I, you know, as a high school quarterback. But the, the girlfriend thinks that the brother would not like that. No, that but that's why I say lay low because I get that from that email as well. By, by the way, very well written yeah. email. We get like the full picture. Yeah. This should oh, be like yeah. an episode yeah. or a movie <laughs> yeah. somewhere. Yeah. But you lay low, but then once it gets to the point, if it gets to the point where you know you need a little little oomph, that's when you're like, hey, let me get a couple snaps. And then you can have that great conversation after the fact. Because guess what? That game is for him. It's for no one else, by the way. You know what I mean? Like, this is his game. He's been prepping for this for how long? Let him get the shine. So I emailed our guy back. I said, look, I need to know what happens here. And I said, if if the brother is wearing a wristband that has the oh plays on it, I said, God. I'm going to need a picture. I said, I, I I need to see if this guy's got the wristband where he's looking down. And, you know. He said, XY7! 
I need a picture. If there is a wristband with the plays on it, someone has to take a picture, please. Now, with all this, they have to have jerseys, don't they? Or at least, like, numbered shirts? I would think. They have to have. The 11th edition of this game with a draft and everything? Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So, uh, and, oh, uh, uh, you might be listening now. You said they were driving out on Tuesday. Have fun. So. Wow. Where can we bet on this, by the way? A lot of pressure, you know? One, I mean, it's a boyfriend. You know, now, I mean, you're in your 30s, a little bit more mature and everything, but, you know, meeting a lot of the family I've met before and everything. And there's always one, the hardcore brother, man. Got to. And my question is even, takes in football. What? Even if you haven't met the brother in this scenario, just in case they haven't met, he hasn't seen him on, like, social media or anything. <laughs> like, if he's a big I dude, I'll be like, yeah. drafted fifth because he said he played a little in high school. Yeah. All right. Wow. All right. Good luck. The, 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 yeah, that's the that's the interesting story for today. All right, Matt Michelle's going to talk some college football. Let's check out the latest in college football with the Orlando Sentinels, Matt Michelle. Catch Matt on Twitter at OS Matt Michelle. All right, uh, let's talk some college football. Matt Michelle joins us on these uh, Tuesdays, and we appreciate uh, his time. Uh, Matt, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing this morning, Mark? I'm fine. Was the return trip easier than it was getting to Lubbock for you? <laughs> It was a little bit easier. I still had a delay and had to and actually had about ten minutes when we landed in Dallas that I had to run across the Dallas airport at the Fort Worth airport to catch my connecting flight to Orlando. So I pulled, uh, you know, I, when I got on the plane, I apologized because I was huffing and puffing pretty bad. So I looked like a little bit like R.J. Harvey trying to make my way through the crowd at the. At the Dallas Fort Worth. All right, let's uh, uh, let's uh, look back. Give me your thoughts uh, on the Texas Tech game. UCF grabs a fourteen nothing lead. Uh, Texas Tech comes back. It's a you know a battle, and Knights have a chance to tie. And the little finger blocks uh, an extra point. Uh, what's your thoughts on the Texas Tech game? Yeah, you know I think this is kind of the theme that UCF has had all season long, especially in road games. It's just been close, you know, close battles, one score games where you know just doesn't seem to go their way. You know, they had a, uncharacteristically a lot of penalties in that game against Texas Tech. They had opportunities to score. Uh, they didn't take advantage of it, especially that one play uh, before the half, you know, or the first half where, you know, JRP does a, a shovel pass that, you know, uh, R.J. Harvey doesn't, isn't able to get in the end zone and they run out of time. And it's a, it's a wasted opportunity. You know, one was I'm sure that Gus and, and, and uh, Darren Henshaw would love to have had back and, and an opportunity to score. And then you, you know, you got some other things, you know, like Colton Boomer, you know, has a, has a, like a field goal that hits the upright, you know, and, and goes out and, uh, you know, they have the block extra point. So missed opportunities. And, and there was an opportunity to, to win that game and be bowl eligible. And then go into this game with a little more breathing room, but now they've got to go into this weekend's game against Houston with this idea of it's a, it's a one game season, find a way to win against Houston and you're in a bowl game and you can send the seniors out with an opportunity for one more chance to play. One more question about this, and, and look, you are what the record is. UCF is five and six; they're two and six in the league. Mike was talking about, you know, is there a big difference of being bowl eligible or not? You know, and and, and enjoy the season. And look, there's absolutely a couple of games that could go either way for UCF, but they didn't. Um, when you look at, at at the body of work, and again, they played in so many close games. What stands out as the difference? Because look. I think Texas Tech and UCF could play 10 times, and I'm not quite sure somebody wins uh, uh, eight or seven times. I think it might be a five versus five or six and four. I'm not quite sure those teams are that different. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it, it's for me this season. It's just been it's been little things, you know, little 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 things that have just kind of made made the difference. And it was interesting. I was looking at uh, doing a little research before I got on the air, and you know, UCF is, is two and four on road games this year in the Big Twelve, and overall, you know, the other newcomers are, are, are four and ten. And you look at what TCU and West Virginia were their first year in the Big Twelve. You know, they were two and eight, but the following year they were eight and two. So I think it, there's it just takes a little bit of adjustment. You know, for these new teams to kind of get this idea of being on the road, new places, um, maybe kind of, you know, getting your, your, your feet on the ground. You know, there is something about being in you know, some familiarity by being on the road and, and doing these kind of things. And, you know, who knows how this season would have been different. If UCF wins that Baylor game, if they don't give up the big lead late, you know, there's there's things that could have that could have changed some things. Maybe they go, you know, maybe the Kansas State game late in that game, you know, if if, if there isn't one of those interceptions, maybe maybe things change a little bit, you know. So I think that one of the things that, that Gus and the rest of the staff and the, and the players will realize is that it wasn't like they got blown out. There's only two games really where they got blown out. This is it's really been a close season, and I think they could have they just had some missed opportunities that they'll be able to find a way to, to kind of get through that next year. All right, let's go to uh, Tallahassee. Uh, as I said yesterday, you don't have to be a Florida State fan to be a fan of Jordan Travis and the story and and, and the injury and the timing of it. So, give me your view on how Tate Rodemaker you know can play for them and and kind of keep this going, and what you think the committee will do regarding Florida State and and the injury. Yeah, I mean, I think Tate Rodemaker will be fine. I mean, he's a guy that's been around the program for several years. Uh, you know, he's really patiently kind of bided his time. And I know that, you know, Mike Norvell has worked really hard to make sure that he doesn't feel like he has disconnected from the from the offense. You know, so I think I think he'll be fine. I think we tend to forget that Florida State has a lot of different offensive weapons around him. You know, you got Trey Benson in the backfield, you know, Keon Coleman, you know, Johnny Wilson, talented receivers. The offensive line has played well. The defense has been better if they can find a way you know they can keep doing what they're doing and i think they'll rally around this jordan travis injury and they'll find a way you know to to, to, to try to get past florida and that i think where it's gonna be interesting is, is will the committee tonight because of the jordan travis injury throw washington above them you know because they feel like well this is it you know florida state's gonna you know it's not gonna matter or will they just say okay you know it's an injury and they're supposed to deal with that you know that's one of the things that over the years, the committee has talked about it that they take into consideration injuries. You know, if a team does well or or you know struggles, I mean, they they're supposed to take and consider their consideration those injuries. So, um, I, I think tonight is really going to be the telling tale of what Florida State's going to have to do because if they fall behind Washington, you know, it really starts to believe to me. I mean, how can you leave out an undefeated Florida State team if they go two and zero the rest of the way? So. Uh, it really does. This is one of the more difficult years for the committee, and I think it's going to be a challenge, especially this weekend, depending on if there's some upsets coming from the Pac-12 area. All right, let me uh, shift to the Gators who played maybe their best game and, and are right there but give up a fourth and 17. They lose Graham Mertz. Here's their backup quarterback now uh, You know, uh, against Florida State. You're trying to find something to build on if you're building Napier, and, and your team played well and yet came up short. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, I think for Billy, you're looking around and you're trying to find ways to, you know, keep bringing some positive energy. I think that's some of the positivity is that you were still in that game, you know. I mean, even to the very end, yes, you gave up the, the game-winning drive, you know, to the Missouri to let them kick a field goal. But, you know, you were you were leading late in that game, you know, and you did that without your starting quarterback. You know, Trevor Etienne obviously is, is an elite running back, and he's really emerged this year. And I think a guy that, that they need to get more carries next year. Um, and, and Billy's just got to keep keep preaching what he's preaching because, 
You know, if they could upset Florida State this weekend, that would be huge. Not only does it give them bowl eligibility, I think that just kind of carries some momentum going forward. And, and they're going to need that. You know, they've lost a, they had a couple of decommitments in their recruiting class over the last week. Uh, you know, that's going to be the key for them is who do they retain through the transfer portal? You know, how much is that recruiting class going to fall a little bit maybe? Can they salvage some of this? Uh, and if they can do that, you know, I, I still think they're going to be in a good spot. But, you know, fan bases aren't patient. And, you know, they want results. And if they don't become bowl eligible, then, you know, I think it's, it's going to be a rough offseason for Billy. Um, Mario Cristobal and his team play well against Louisville, and it may have been the defense that let them down. Tyler Van Dyke played pretty well. Thoughts on the Canes? Yeah, I think Miami's in the same kind of very similar situation as, as Billy and the Florida. You know, I mean, Mario's just got to try to find – keep finding some positive, you know, angles to everything. And, and they've done better recruiting-wise, and I think their class is going to be another top class. But they've got to find a way to, to try to finish off strong, get a win, uh, and, and see what you can do in the postseason, you know, because there's still areas where they need to improve. They, their defense is too inconsistent. You know, their offense looked good beginning, and then, you know, Tyler struggled a little bit. Some of that's injuries, and some of that's just the offense. Um, they've got to figure out a way to get things – get things corrected soon because once you go into year three then all bets are off you know you're not going to get any sort of cushion of of consideration i think there people expect you to start winning and mario's been paid a lot of money to, to come out there and win some games all right since we spoke uh much has changed in michigan they've um <laughs> accepted uh, the harbaugh suspension uh they fired a linebacker coach and i'm not quite sure the story's over yet so give me the matt michelle view of what uh, has happened at michigan yeah, I mean, I still don't. I still don't buy this this thing that Jim Harbaugh doesn't know. I mean, I think Jim understands that. Listen, it was easier it, it, for them to have to go through a lawsuit and deal with all those kind of things to get him to, on the sidelines. I think he just realized it was easier to accept the penalty and, and see what happens. You know, this is going to fall back to the NCA. The NCA is going to have to figure out what's going to happen through all this. Um, and, and we know the NCA moves glacially slow. I mean, so they're not going to be able to get this decided soon. Um, the, the, the the key is going to be okay. If Michigan wins this weekend against Ohio State and Michigan wins the Big Ten and gets in the playoff, you know, how much of a distraction is that going to be? Because I think we're still going to be talking about it. We're still going to be talking about, you know, cheating and what Michigan's done in cheating. And at some point, they got to decide whether or not Jim Harbaugh knew. And, and I can't believe that he didn't know. Every coach I've ever spoken to, every program I've been around, and coaches know everything that's going on in their program. So you can throw a scapegoat here or there for someone who's trying to hide the evidence, but at some point it's going to come back to you. Maybe eventually this is going to be the thing that pushes Jim Harbaugh to, to leave and go back to the NFL, and, and the Michigan program's going to figure out what they're going to do next. Um, about tonight and maybe uh, for next week, um, give me your thoughts on the Texas-Alabama scenario of Texas winning in Tuscaloosa, Bama winning out and having the better view at the end of the year, though Texas you know, still uh, could win a conference championship. The head-to-head versus the Alabama win over Georgia, what might the committee lean towards? Yeah, that's going to be the good question. I mean, you know, it's the the committee is over the, over the life of the playoff is not really whoever wins the SEC ends up getting into the playoff. And if Alabama finds a way to beat, you know, Georgia and gets its – they should more than likely find their way in the playoff. But if Texas gets left out, I know Texas fans are going to you – know, they win the Big 12. I think Texas fans are going to rightfully say, we won the head-to-head. We should be in there before Alabama. But um, I, I think it's going to be a difficult argument. Listen, I, I said this earlier. I think the playoff selection committee is going to have one of the most difficult uh, decisions in, in, the, in its existence because there are so many teams. And if there's any sort of chaotic scenarios, I mean, if, 
if Washington State and Oregon State pull off upsets this weekend or, you know, uh, and beating Washington and Oregon, if, if, you know, we see some other teams get beat, if Texas, uh, you know, if FSU loses, I mean, you know, there's going to be scenarios where all of a sudden you could have eight, 11 and one teams sitting there and maybe one 12, you know, 12 and 0 teams. So, um, the committee's going to really have to figure out what's the best case scenario, wishing that maybe the Big 12 team playoff had taken place this year because it's not going to be easy for them. They're hoping that everything kind of goes the course and they won't have to deal with it. All right, let me run through some games this weekend, and uh, it's the Don't Hold Matt to It uh, Tuesday prediction, okay? Um, but uh, uh, let's throw some scenarios here. Texas San Antonio plays at Tulane. Jeff Trailer's a name. He was asked about the Texas A&M job multiple times. Tulane's got a chance for a second straight New Year's Six Bowl. Um, this is a elimination because SMU's also in the mix here is undefeated. Um, give me a winner. Yeah, you know, I like Tulane. I've always felt like Willie Fritz has done a great job, and I always feel like he's a guy that's going to find a way to get one, get a win. I, I think that's the thing that the, that um, they're able to do. So I'm, I think that's what's going to end up happening. Oregon State at Oregon Friday night. I like Oregon. I still think they're playing better. I think Bo Nix has played well. He's still in the mix for that Heisman, and I think they're going to find a way to, to, to pull it out. Ohio State-Michigan. I like Michigan, even all the stuff going on. I mean, Michigan's a little bit of a better team, a more complete team, and I think they're going to—they're rallying around this whole Jim Harbaugh thing and and and, and sign gate, and they're finding a way to, to win games. Uh, Florida, Florida State. Uh, I like Florida State, even without you know uh, Jordan Travis. I think they've they got a little more uh, talent on the on their end, and I think they're going to find a way to pull off the win. One last one, because you watch enough of the Big 12. Iowa State's at Kansas State. That's a good one. Um, I like Kansas State. I've been impressed with Kansas State. I know they had their ups and downs, but I feel like Kansas State is one of those teams that can find a way. And they're, they're still, if you think about it, in the mix for the Big 12 yeah. championship, depending on what's, depending on their crazy Big 12 uh, tiebreaker. So they're still in the mix of that. So I, I like them. Yeah. I mean, they're in a spot to win uh, nine games, and I just think they're a really good football team. Thank you, Matt. Uh, we'll see you later in the week. Appreciate it. All right. Sounds good. Take Matt care. Michelle covers college football for the Orlando Sentinel. Find him on X and Twitter at OS Matt Rochelle. A couple of reminders. We're here tomorrow doing a uh, Wednesday show, and then uh, later in the week, of course, UCF football. It's a 12 noon kick against uh, Houston. Uh, coverage begins at 10 a.m. down the dollar and sister station, 540 WFLA. Obviously, they got the Gators and Florida State, and the nighttime kickoff there. So we got you covered uh, throughout the entire holiday uh, weekend. Come on back. We got more to get to in this uh, Tuesday, the double shot Tuesday, 11 o'clock hour. Uh, this is the fix, and one thing leads to another. Kelly, you ever heard of this song? I have not. When I was really? reading it, maybe I have to listen to it more. You know what I mean? But reading it via like yeah. text, I did not recognize it. Yeah, let me listen. Yeah. The fix, and one thing leads. To, this is number eight, forty years ago in the Billboard chart. Double shot Tuesday continues. really do the news yes now it is time to do the news but now it's time uh, for the news the news is sponsored by seminal power sports number one in fast fun reinhardt road in sanford highway 441 eustace and online at seminalpowersports.com last night the matchup the rematch of the super bowl 
And the Philadelphia Eagles go in and outscore the Chiefs 14-0 in the second half. A race is 17-7 halftime deficit and win. They go to 9-1 of the year with the Chiefs drop to 7-3. and It's the third consecutive game that the Chiefs did not score in the second half. Jalen Hurts was 14 of 20, 250 yards. He was picked off once, but he also ran for a couple of touchdowns. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was 24 for 43 for just 177. Two touchdowns, one pick. The pick came uh, in the end zone. Justin Watson was the leading receiver last night for the Chiefs. Went five catches for 53 yards. Travis Kelsey caught seven balls for 44. But the Eagles' defense was phenomenal in the second half last night. And uh, the Eagles get the win, get to 9-1. and one. The Chiefs dropped to 7-3. and three. Adam Schefter sent out this tweet about an hour ago. Uh, earlier today, the Steelers fired Matt Canada as their offensive coordinator. And actually, he gave credit to, let me give that, Paul Hembo, um, or Paul Hembakides, who is a producer at ESPN's uh, Mike Greenberg get-up show, said it was the first time the Steelers made an in-season coaching change on staff since 1941. Since 1941. So they've never fired a coordinator during the year. And the Sills have had very few head coaches, obviously. Uh, but the last time they did this was in 1941. Matt Canada was fired uh, this morning uh, by the Steelers. Guess you're setting a little bit of history there. Uh, the Denver Broncos will be without Kareem Jackson again. His latest hit in uh, their game against the Vikings on Sunday night on quarterback Joshua Dobbs has led to a four-game suspension. It is another suspension for him after missing time. The repeat offender uh, clause came into play here, and Jackson now is gone for the next month for the Denver uh, Broncos. Magic are in action tonight. Kelly, the Magic taking on the Toronto Raptors. Uh, with a record of 8-5, and five, begin a six-game homestand. I asked Mike this. If you take a look at the Magic schedule, it's uh, the Raptors tonight, the Nuggets tomorrow, then the Celtics on Friday. By the way, it's an afternoon game on uh, Friday, 2.30. Then Washington twice. Can, should, will the Magic win four of six? Yes. Okay. Uh, Again, Toronto, Denver, Boston, Charlotte, and Washington twice. Uh, It's a back-to-back tonight and tomorrow, and then no back-to-backs, but it's a chance to maybe get four to six here. Yep. Now you're saying, okay, beating Toronto, Charlotte, Washington twice, could you get one against Denver, Boston? Or you slip up against somebody else, but four wins and you go, okay, I'm telling you, November wins count the same as wins in February and March and April. They're wins. And whatever number you think it takes to make the play-in or to be a top-six seed, whether you get them in February, March, or April, or you get them in November, they're still wins. And my point is, a six-game homestand for Orlando now in November is a great opportunity the way the schedule falls because you're getting teams that are winnable. Not that Toronto's an easy win, but I'm just saying Charlotte just beat Boston, but I mean, Kelly, I and three guys on the fourth floor here can beat the uh, Wizards right now, I think. Way too inconsistent. And we're not defending Jordan Poole either. Just let him shoot. Um, 
He just dropped 30 randomly yesterday, too. And that's all he cares. That's all he... It, it, what, what was the what was the nickname that you were talking about Julius Randle? Oh, uh... <laughs> what I'm blanking on it, too. But long story short, that's uh, Jordan Poole as well. Oh. He gets that as well. Yeah. Just... Hey, just he only shows up once a week. Right, yeah. <laughs> um... You saw the clip of what he did. He he let the ball roll up half court, thinking that the, that the shot, shot clock, clock was affected as yeah. well. <laughs> well. The shot clock. He's like, "What's going on with the clock?" Anyway, <laughs> point is, the Magic have a chance to win some games here, um, and it'd be nice if if you know four to six would be really really sweet uh, for the Magic in a situation uh, like this. Um, elsewhere, uh, last night UCF basketball won in overtime, beating Charlotte. Uh, by three points, the Knights take both games of the Jacksonville Classic and sit at 4-1. and one. They're back in action coming up on Sunday when they take on former UCF coach Donnie Jones and his uh, Stetson Hatters. Plenty of college basketball and holiday college basketball uh, continues. Our, our own Scott Harris is over in Daytona working some games at an event over there. Um, there used to be a time, Kelly, in college basketball, and... I say a time. A few years ago, this is when the season started, was week of Thanksgiving. That's when you started your season. Now we're starting two weeks earlier. But there are very few holiday tournaments. Now, you and I could put a tournament on at a rec hall down the street right. and get someone to, to, to sponsor, and teams will come. So I'm watching highlights last night. I stayed up and watched the football game, and then you know they're going through college basketball. Let's check out highlights of this, and I'm like, where are they playing? Like, what is that? And we're just making up names now. It's like, you know, the, the 7th Street Tournament. Why? Well, it's on 7th Street. That's where the gym is. They're playing down there and so <laughs> forth, right? Um, the Maui Invitational is in Honolulu because of the fires they had in Maui. That still is out there. But there's so many tournaments um, that are going on. UCF played in something called the Jacksonville Classic. It was played at Flagler College in the gym at Flagler. This is no fault of Flagler, but... Um, that facility should not be hosting eight Division One college basketball teams. The um, the hospitality suite that I went up to on Sunday night, not because mm-hmm. I was looking for, well, I was looking for a bottle of water. So someone says, well, the hospitality suite's up above. Now, mind you, there was one Internet line available in the gym. Okay. Which last night was used by UCF's opponent. So Jeff Sharon, who signed it for me, did the game with his phone connected, his computer sending it back to the station. Wow. There is no internet connection. Uh, so somebody, uh, I said, listen, is there like a press room? It's over. They go, well, there's a hospitality suite upstairs. Okay, what, what what visual came to mind for you right there? You said, hey, hospitality suite upstairs. When I was looking for a bottle of water, you're thinking, oh, there might be a meal. and yeah, Nice, comfortable room. Acco- uh, 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 accommodating. So I went upstairs. It's the weight room. There was a <laughs> there. There's a table. There's a table by the squat rack that had, at the time, okay. There was the you know the small snack bags of Doritos, okay, Fritos, Ooh. and a pen. Pretty good. Now I don't know if the pen was like an option, like oh, is it like a tournament pen? No, it's just a pen that someone was using. I was gonna ask, is it like branded or was it just like a regular? It's big just a pen. pen. Yeah, it's just a pen. <laughs> it's just sitting right there, just a pen. Uh, there's no water, right? There's no water. 
And I'm like, okay, it's it, fine, no big deal. Um, I could, I could go by like our team bench. You could, it, if our team was out warming up, I'd go get water. But this was during the game before ours. I'm not going by a team bench. Like, well, no big deal. I'll go over to the concession stand and I'm going to get water. So I go out and the concession stand, it's a little bit, it's like 10, 15 deep. It's no big deal, right? Then I go, I, I said, I'll, I'll wait and go get water later when the team gets here and so forth. I go back into the gym and the side door is propped open. Now, people are waiting in the front of the building, paying to come in. Uh-huh. Someone had the door open, and as I'm walking to go back into the gym, like 30 people just walk in from the side. Sounds about right. <laughs> Someone said, yeah, yeah, I, I popped it open. Come through here. <laughs> and I wanted to go back up front and go, hey. <laughs> you know this is going on? Just, just, just 20 paces to the right and walk to the side. 20 you paces. Know, yeah, that's the LA fitness trick. So if you don't have like a uh, a membership to go through the front, usually the basketball uh, courts have the little emergency exit. You just oh really? Pop it open like, yeah, come on in, guys. Come on. Ah, get a couple extra in there. I hear you. It's the LA fitness trick. I hear They've you. Done it before. They've done it before. When I, it's funny you bring that up. When I was driving back yesterday morning, I left St. Augustine. I stayed over, and I left at like five thirty to come back here, and. I'm on the road. It takes me out to I-95. It's it's like a 15-mile drive. And I I come to a light, and I'm just looking over, and there's like a strip mall area. I'm like, what are all those cars? It was one of the fitness centers open early. You know, guys getting a big workout in early, you know. They, they don't play as soon, yeah. as, it, as soon as it's time to go. Yeah. They're yeah. outside because I've been a couple times in that early morning grind. Yeah. Right. And like five, ten minutes before people lining up already. It's like, you could just stay in your car. Water jug, right? Yeah. It's insane because keep in mind, I've worked at Starbucks, you know, multiple times throughout my life. But altogether, like three plus years, I've worked at Starbucks. And each and every morning shift, there'll be people out there looking like zombies. Maybe I can understand right. that. But if right. you're trying to get a pump, you can literally just stay in your car. Nah. So they open the damn nah. door. No. Or the dude's already got the weightlifting belt on with the water jug. He's right. ready to go. Yeah. He's going he's going straight to that squat rack right. before anybody else takes it. Matter of fact, let me get in so I can prop the back door open so I can get some people. <laughs> uh, Bob Herrick coming up bottom of the hour. A uh, couple of big stories in golf. We'll uh, talk to uh, Bob uh, coming up in a little bit. for Tuesday. Big mover, Kelly, back uh, 40 years ago, 1983, when Quiet Riot took advantage of MTV with a video and uh, moved up from 7 to 5 this week 40 years ago. What was the video looking like, Danny? Whatever you think a hair band yeah. was supposed to look like that yeah, came the onto the scene. Yeah. And one guy had a mask on. It was like, oh, man, you know? It's funny. These are one of those that, you know, those records where you know it, but I wouldn't have gotten the title nor the the band. Right. But he could play this song 40 years later mm-hmm. and it still works. It's that energy. You know? Good music. Um, sports is amazing for many reasons. We often talk about the, the, the arc of a season, the journey, great performances, seeing something that you've never seen before. And... I think sometimes 
when great players sustain excellence for a period of time, we tend to just get numb to the performance until the performance no longer meets the level that we had them at. And then we're the first to criticize. Um, The older quarterback that sticks around, we're the first to point out where the game is going on them. I mean, Tom Brady is arguably, I don't even know if his argument, the greatest quarterback to ever play. Won the Super Bowl after leaving the Patriots, but then for Tom's last couple years, it was about throwing the deep ball and not the same zip and all that stuff. And, and yeah, this father time comes along and starts knocking. We do it in, 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 in all sports, and yet we're watching something in one sport that I think doesn't get proper credit, and I fully understand why, because of the 24-7 news cycle we're in. But also, here's why. We're numb because the performance is, well, yeah, I mean, that's what this guy uh, does. Kelly, do you know uh, how old LeBron is? 39. Uh, LeBron James is 38 days I mean, 38 years, 326 days old. So you're pretty close. He's about to celebrate his 39th birthday on December 30th. And would you agree that he has set a standard where you have this perception of this is how LeBron plays? And what I'm saying is, understand this. It's the dude's 21st season. Okay? He's averaging 26 points a game. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he's shooting 59%, by the way. Pretty damn good. Even 40 from three-point land for him. Even better. But here's he's averaging 26.4. His career average is 27. He's shooting 59%. Again, it's a 13-game sample size. His career number is 51. He's shooting 40% from three. His career average is 35 He's shooting 69% of the free throw line. His average is 74. His career average in rebounds and assists are 7.5 and 7.3. He's averaging 8.2 rebounds and 6.5 assists. Would you agree that we set a standard for James that here's someone doing it at 39 in their 21st year? That's remarkable. Yep. Yep, yep. Absolutely. And we've had these discussions on open mic before where yeah. it, like people like him, they make it seem so routine that we don't truly appreciate it until you break it down like that, right? Unless you're really looking at the stats or even watching the game, um, you don't really get to appreciate just how impressive that is. I mean, I can just speak for myself being a 32-year-old. I can't imagine you know running five uh, games up and down that court, full court. This man is doing it. At a high level, the highest level that we can, night in and night out, at the highest level possible. He scored thirty-seven. Yeah, he scored thirty-seven on Sunday. Um, he's missed one game this season, and yet, if he sticks around long enough, and whether it's to play with his son, whatever, the moment that you see the drop, the critics will be as loud as anything, even though. Shouldn't we be praising? praising? And I know that there are, for whatever reason, there are people who don't like LeBron. I, I I don't know why, but I mean there are people. 
And again, we do this in every sport. We marvel. Oh yeah, yeah, he's great, great. And then the minute you see the drop, you're like, ah, well, you know, there you go. Mm-hmm. The dude is in his twenty first year. Others have uh, uh, written about this. Here's the other players that got to twenty one years. Okay, uh, Vince Carter. Uh, in 2018-19, he averaged seven points and two and a half rebounds. Mm-hmm. A little bit different. Dirk Nowitzki, in his 21st year, averaged seven points, three rebounds. The Chief, Robert Parrish, uh, averaged four points, two rebounds. Kevin Garnett averaged three points, three rebounds. Kevin Willis, the old power forward himself, two points, one and a half rebounds in their 21st season. Insane. This dude is this dude is still one of the best players of the NBA. He's about to be 39. And it's so interesting going into the season. I don't know if it was the game plan, but I don't know if you remember. They were using him a little less, obviously, to try to you know just load manage because he is getting older. But the team just isn't structured the way that it should to support that sort of game plan, right? And LeBron himself was going up to Darwin and the boys like, hey, you know I can play point guard, right? Like I, can, like, I can do more. And since they had that conversation the first like two, three games of the season, it's just been off to the races. And he's been showing people exactly why he's an alien at any sport out there. So if you're into the advanced numbers, okay, uh, 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 P, uh, PR is player efficiency rating, okay? which is the measurement of a per-minute production. So it takes into account everything you do. The league average is a 15 for a per. If you have a per 15, that's the league average. Okay, So if you're like 17, 18, you know, it, 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 it's pretty good. So 15 is the average. This season, LeBron James per is 26. <laughs> it's ridiculous. For his career, it's 27. Uh, previous years, 23.9, 26.2, 24.2, 24.5, uh, meaning... He is efficient, in, again, it's a 13-game sample size, but he is as efficient now at any point of his career. At 21? 21 years. His it's career in- is old enough to drink. That's <laughs> <laughs> very good. Yeah. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So, uh, again, I, I'm not saying we should every night, but I appreciate greatness, especially at this age and how it has sustained itself, just like we do to Brady. Mm-hmm. Dude's unbelievable. Uh, up next, that Tiger Woods, Roy McIlroy Golf League delayed a year. The latest on Live in the PGA Tour. A couple of other big golf stories with Bob Herrick, the great writer of Sports Illustrated. Uh, Double Shot Tuesday. These are the biggest hits 40 years ago this week in 1983. Little Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton's Island in the Stream that uh, was number one, then dropped the two, and now this week, 40 years ago, was number four. Catch the Beat of Sports Overtime on our Instagram account at 96.9 The Game. We aren't sure what will happen, but you'll be entertained. It's a double shot Tuesday. Holding steady at number three 40 years ago is Billy Joel's Uptown Girl. 
Billboard Top 40 from uh, 1983 uh, this uh, week is our theme on Double Shot Tuesday today. The golf world's got a lot of news, and you wouldn't think so as they're headed towards the holidays, but uh, there's a bunch of things uh, happening. And the great uh, writer, Bob Herrick, of course, are writing these days for Sports Illustrated on Twitter X at Bob Herrick has kind of joined us and chat about some of these things. Bob, happy holidays. How are you? Same to you, Mark. Thanks for having me. Let's start first. Uh, the, the the unique uh, virtual golf venture with Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy hyped up and big names and big sponsors. And then a bad storm comes through South Florida last week and uh, knocks down uh, the roof of, uh, of the facility at Tiger's uh, place. And all of a sudden, this thing's going to be delayed. One, surprised to learn that. And, and, and what is the uh, latest on that? Yeah, it's very unfortunate for them. I mean, they were gearing up for a January 9th launch. Um, the plan was to have, uh, I guess, 15 weeks of this. Maybe there, might, there might have been some weeks where they did it two nights. And, you know, this this tech-infused golf league that they came up with where it's basically a two-hour TV show and uh, a, a, a gigantic simulator, like 20 times the size of what you would see, like if you went into a golf store and were trying to figure out what kind of driver to buy, and um, and then they were they were going to also have uh, sort of if you had shots within fifty yards, they were going to have like a real green and real bunkers that that could that could be altered their shape and size through some sort of technology. So they they kind of had this thing mapped out, but this storm or whatever came through. The, the arena that they were building for this had had a had a domed roof, like a air inflated roof, and something occurred where uh, I guess this, this, the power went out, and and then th- there was some issue with backup generators, and 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 it started to deflate very very slowly, but it did, and then it, it got tears in it, and I think they thought they could get it together in time, but they they must have done an assessment here in the last couple of days and realized that this was a monumental task to get this fixed. It got torn more and more, um, and it wasn't going to be ready in time. And it sounds to me like they could have maybe uh, tried, but but the look wouldn't have been good. It, it would have been a bad first impression. They talked about pushing it back a few weeks. Then you get into player schedules. You also had this TV window on ESPN, that was probably going to be compromised if you went too far. So they, they elected to regroup and just do it next year. So it's not, you know, now they're going to relaunch, I guess, in January of 2025. Um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting because they did have so much set to go, and, and, and it turns around real quickly. So um, I, I guess a chance maybe to sign up some more golfers and come back even bigger uh, and, and better to hold that off. Let's move on to the PGA Live ongoing talks. Bob, I remember the morning, and I'm sure you did because you covered it nonstop, a CNBC interview, and all of a sudden the, the, the war between the two is set aside. We're all going to get this done. Everybody's going to be happy. It's going to work and everything. Uh, Jay Monahan then disappears. He takes a leave of absence, and now the ongoing talks. Are we any closer? I guess they will not make a deadline they had put. I don't know what that means and what it triggers. So where are we? What is the latest on the PGA and LIV? To be honest, Mark, I hear a lot of different conflicting reports on this. Um, the tour maintains that they are negotiating with the PIF, that's the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, that's Liz's financial backer, and that they're moving towards an agreement and that they want an agreement. 
Roy McIlroy said last week he wants an agreement. He thinks it's the, it's the best for all. But all the chatter outside of that is, is that they're nowhere close, that there's long, long way to go. So many things have to be figured out that a delay seems inevitable if they don't just scuttle it all together. There seems to be a sense on the live side, and, my, and, and again, I say this, I don't think they know because I think the, the people that are doing the, the work on that end are not telling them. So I don't think they have any idea if it's going to happen or not. But I kind of get the sense that they'd be happy if it didn't because they're happy to just go on with what they have. And let's be honest, there's a lot of jobs at stake. Forget the players. You know, there's, Liv has, you know, they hired a lot of people to do this. And if you had an agreement and if you did align or merge or have some sort of alliance, clearly they wouldn't need all these people probably. So I just wonder if they're being self-serving when they say, you know, we don't think a deal will get done. You know, the, the, the players on Liv are fine doing with, doing what they're doing. Now, I would argue, are you ever going to gain traction with that? I've been to several live events. Um, you know, uh, it, it's it's not as popular in the U.S. as it is overseas, where, where you know, we, we take for granted getting to see the top players in the game here. But over there, they don't. And so they're bringing it to underserved markets, which makes sense. But if you don't have the blessing or of the overall golf community, which they would have if they made a deal with the PGA Tour. If you don't have that, I think you're going to continue to be shunned. You're going to have a hard time getting a good TV deal. You're going to have a hard time getting world ranking points, which is, which is a huge issue. How do you ever get young players to go to live if they know that they don't have any avenue to, to qualify for the biggest tournaments in the game? Um, and, you, you know, you're going to have a hard time. Eventually they want this thing to be – viable financially but without that you know sort of uh you know the 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 blessing so to speak of being part of the golf community how are you ever going to get sponsorship how are you ever going to get a tv deal how are you ever going to get the things that you need to sustain this you know huge expenditures that they have week to week um i don't know i (laughs) Part of what I took of the the effort to find investors and these large hedge funds who might come in and they thought they may have had something. What is the PG or uh, PJ Tour telling us? Which leads to something else that you've written about, you know, about the cost of operating these events. The tour asking now, hey, locally, you may have to pick up uh, some additional costs. Is the league financially cha- is the tour financially challenged here to find additional dollars to keep up? I think the thing you have to keep in mind here, and they probably haven't done a good enough job of of kind of expressing this, is what they are talking about with the PIF or outside investment, like these you know these these private equity companies that are looking at the tour, is a side for profit entity that would run separately of the PGA Tour as we know it. So, for example, the the tour is made up of however many 40, 50 events. Almost all of them are run as 501c3 charities, and they give their proceeds to charity, uh, including, you know, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. They have a charitable arm called the Army's Army Foundation, and 
they are operated as a nonprofit. These private equity companies and the PIF can't invest in that and make money back. It doesn't work that way. So the only hope they can get from these outside investors is that they would come into the for-profit side, which, frankly, we don't know what that is going to look like. If PIF is involved, you would think they would fold live into it in some way. Mm -hmm. If there is no live, what are they going to do? You're talking about multi, multi millions of investment, and they're going to want to return. There would have to be some competitive aspect to that to be able to say that you're going to give players equity in it, and it's going to make money for all these investors. What is that? Some sort of a side worldwide golf circuit? Like, nobody really knows what that will be. What you asked about the PGA Tour needing funds and going to its local sponsors, it's still an issue. In order to fight live, they came up with this this uh, plan for what's now being called signature events. The Arnold Palmer Invitational is one of the eight. So is Tigers Tournament, the Genesis, Jacks, the Memorial, and five others. And they're big money tournaments with $20 million purses, and most of them will have no cut. It was a way to get money to the top players. And it was a way to take care of them and sort of to try to fight off live and all their money. Well, the problem is, is the tour has found that they've got title sponsors balking at this, that the TV ratings and, and the interest in golf doesn't match that sort of outlay. And so now they're scrambling. And, you know, the, 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 the title sponsors are tired of having to pick up the slack and pay more and more. And one of their options is now, you know, these local organizing groups, these, 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 uh, the, the, most tournaments are owned or run locally by a group of people that, that are wanting to invest in their community. And their job is to raise the funds to put on the tournament, infrastructure, you know, bleachers, the build-out, uh, you know, player dining, you know, transportation, all that stuff. And then they make their money back by selling hospitality, pro-am spots, tickets. And at the end of the day, they, they give their access to charity, as is mandated by, by their setup. It's, it's not a for-profit venture. Well, now what the tour is doing is basically telling them, we're going to need you to give some of those profits to us to help fund the purses. And that's, that's, a, that's a jarring thing to, to learn because it clearly means that, that, uh, that some of these tournament charities are probably going to take a hit. Because where else is that money going to come from? Or, or are you going to expect them to make even more money when their margins are tight to begin with. It's, it's, you know, there's only so much you can charge for a pro-am spot. Right. There's only so many spots. You, you, the, the number of spots is hard to add onto. How much can you raise ticket prices and hospitality? How, how, how high can you build a hospitality venue? I mean, all those things cost money, too. So it's a, we're at a very, very interesting time in the game right now, and, and the PJ Tour model looks to be changing uh, here, you know, maybe not rapidly, but but ever so slowly as we head into the future. Last one, maybe it's a bad comparison. In college football, it's hard as a group of five team to compete with P five because of opportunity. And UCF certainly experienced that a number of years. As, as I was reading your piece today about points assigned to these signature events, if I'm a middle of the pack player, how do I get up there? I I, I got to win because the, I mean they've shifted points now that what's established as the P5 equivalent of the tour, 
they have a point advantage to begin with because of events they play in. How is it that more? Is that much more difficult for a middle of the pack guy now? Yeah, well, I think potentially it could be. Um, you do have a way to play your way into those signature events. For example, just you know, to use the Arnold Palmer again, there will be two events leading up to it. I believe it's the Mexico Open and the what, what, what used to be the Honda, the, the tournament in Palm Beach. The top five point earners in those two tournaments will get a spot in the Arnold Palmer. So there is a way to qualify. Plus, the, the top 10 from a season-long FedEx list. So, like, if you're not in the top 10 in the season-long FedEx list, they have another list for the next top five in those two tournaments. So 15 players will find their way in that way. If you win a tournament in the calendar year, you'll get in all of them. Or if you're ranked in the top 30 in the world. So there are avenues to get in. The problem that I see and I think that others are recognizing is they've raised the number of points they're going to be giving at these signature events. So the guy last week, uh, Lanto Griffin, pointed out, if I play the, the uh, Tory Pines, it's a 144-player field with 500 points going to the winner. And I think he said it's like 110 points for the fifth-place finisher. The very next week, an 80-player field at, at the uh, Pebble Beach with, with no cut is giving 700 points, and that same fifth-place finish would be like 310 points. So you're fighting an uphill battle against guys who are already going to be guaranteed points. The top 50 guys in the FedEx Cup standings this year are all eligible for those signature events. Five of them have no cut. They're, no matter how they play, they're guaranteed getting points. I would have thought they would have just left the points alone to keep that, because it's already an advantage to be in, in those events. Right. You're getting points in almost all of them anyway, you have a smaller field to beat, um, you, have a, you have a huge advantage. Now they've made it even more so because instead of you know 500 points, it's 700. And that, that disparity, I think, is, um, you know, it, it could be problematic. I mean, there's always, the, the backup answer always is play better. Right. You know, you can play better and get into them. I get that. But I just think it'll be very interesting to see how much turnover there is. And how many of those guys fall out? Yeah, uh, interesting. A lot of interesting stuff happening. Bob Herrig's on uh, X or Twitter, at Bob Herrig. You can get the links to all of his work. Uh, the excellent writer for Sports Illustrated. Thanks, Bob. Happy holidays. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Be well. Uh, come back, put a wrap on the show. Double Shot Tuesday. These are the biggest songs 40 years ago, 1983. Um, this was song number two. This is the one that Mike doesn't have a problem with. Say, say, say. Correct, yeah. yeah. The other one he says is the worst right. song of all time. Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. Yeah. Come back, though. We'll tell you what number one was 40 years ago. Wrap up the show next. Say, say, say what you want, but don't play games with my affection. Take, take, take what you need, but don't leave me to no direction. All alone, I sent home Wait, did you miss any of today's episode? Well, good news, buddy. We've got you covered. Just download the Beat of Sports On Demand podcast on the iHeartRadio app.
40 years ago, this week, Billboard Top 40, this was number one. Still holds today, right? Come on. Absolutely. Right? Classic. You play this song, you know? They're at the wedding, little holiday party. Everyone's feeling a little vibe of Lionel Richie. Everybody loves this. Dude was crushing it, man. That's when they said, see, if you left the Commodores even years earlier, keep the money for yourself. He said, say no more. He said, let the music play. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that's it for us today. Kelly, thank you so much uh, for sitting in. And uh, Kelly is uh, going to do this tomorrow because uh, Kyle's out. And uh, we appreciate Kelly's time. It's a long, long day for him. So if you miss any of our program, you can always go to uh, 969thegame.com or go to your favorite podcast, type in the Beat of Sports On Demand. Everything comes up right there for you so you can enjoy all that if you miss it. All right? Maybe you've got some time off this week. You're hanging out with us. Uh, we appreciate that. Tomorrow, busy show. J.C. Carnahan with a high school football playoff preview on Wednesday. It's raw for Friday. Keith Smith with some college, with some uh, NBA basketball, more college football. Cam Meller, who's normally on Thursdays. He'll be on tomorrow, so we got a jam-packed show tomorrow. Thanks for your time, as always. Uh, we appreciate it. Again, Kelly, but I sat in today for Kyle. I'm Mark Daniels, the Beat of Sports.